Hello and welcome to episode 8 of the Human Odyssey podcast. The song you just heard a bit from is Janina Kan Monterey by Bangladeshi singer, lyricist and composer Bapa Mazumdar. Today we're traveling to the lush plains and mangroves of Bangladesh and India. We'll be talking to Adil Delwar, the founder and CEO of Palm Life, a startup manufacturing and supplying biodegradable outdoor tableware made from naturally fallen palm leaves. Adil, thanks for joining us. How are you? I'm good, thank you. How are you guys? Good, we're good. Yeah, yeah, very good. So, where are you at right now? Uh, well, I'm I'm in Bristol now, so United Kingdom. It's, nice. It's sunny here, not bad. 23 degrees today, so yeah, it's good. Yeah, one of my best friends is just uh, about to move to Bristol. He's he's pretty excited. It seems like a nice city. It is actually, and I think it's one of the most eco-friendly cities in the UK as well. Oh really? What makes you think that? Well, that's what I mean. I found online, <laughs> but <laughs> apart from yeah. that, I mean, obviously, I mean, UK in general, it's very green itself. But in the in Bristol, I mean, you'd find lots of green parks and everything everywhere, and people, I think, are a bit more conscious about eco-friendly lifestyles. Mm. So you started um, your career in in uh, in the business world, I guess, uh, with this project Palm Life, but before that what were you doing yeah so um i basically actually went to university to study biomedical sciences and uh, which was in 2012 and i think i've i've completed my bachelor's and that's when i felt like it was not something i wanted to do so which is why um i ended up going towards a business and i did an msc in international business from aston university in birmingham and after that basically um I decided to, you know, go back to Bangladesh because that's where I'm from. And I went there and then I worked with my dad for one year where I, I was actually trying to learn the business world more about it. So I was working as a business development manager for international business. So my role entailed me to travel places like Thailand, China, different places in Asia to try and find uh, partners where we can, you know, uh, partner up and do business in Bangladesh. So which is why I used to work uh, for construction sector where I, I used to try and find big uh, uh, investors in China who would be willing to fund billion dollar projects in Bangladesh and also the consultancy side of that. So which was great. I got to travel. It was fun, you know, meet different people, different culture and gain some experience. And after a year of that, I thought uh, why not go back to what I initially planned? Because when I was finishing my MSc, I had this plan already back then that I want to start Palm Life. I mean, back then I did not have the name Palm Life, but I knew that I wanted to do a startup. Mm-hmm. It was related to this eco-friendly business that I'm doing now. So yeah, I mean, I think uh, all of my experiences that I gathered, even during university, you know, I felt like I wanted to do business. So which is why it brought me back to it and which is why in 2018 is when I decided to apply to BC in Aston University in, in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. So I, came, I basically applied to this program where they accepted me and then I came to the UK and that's how I created my startup with the help of Aston University. So that's when, you know, I finally had uh, an opportunity to create my startup in the UK and from there onwards, I started building and for the last two years, I've been working on that. Right at the start, what was the kind of major challenge in setting it up? I mean, 
what, what did your idea of palm life consist of? Do you know, like, do you, did you have any particular ideas of how these products would be made? Or is, the, is this kind of, did you have to learn a lot of stuff even after you like made the decision to go for it? Honestly, at the start, I had no idea what I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just knew that yeah. I wanted to make palm leaf plates. And I've never seen the product in life in person. Yeah. So all I saw them was online. So everything was pretty much virtual. Everything that I did, my plans, I was formulating a plan, you know, researching up, you know, my competitors in the market and everything. So I was, you know, it's like, it's more like, you know, when we used to go to uni, right? We used to uh, like research, you know, for a topic online and try and make a plan for it and how to do yeah, it. Sure. Pretty much mm -hmm. that's what I did. I found everything online and I formulated this business plan and everything, you know, according to what I found online. So, and as I went along is where I started, you know, finding, you know, out how I need to do stuff. So like creating a business was something I never had an idea about and I never went by the books. I was figuring everything out as I went along. So like, for example, when I uh, created my company, first of all, I never knew how to do those, those stuff. So, which is where I used to go online, Google them, try and find out how to do, do this, how to do that, mm. how to do trademark. So similar, which is why in October 2018 is when I incorporated my company first. So I did that. And then I think seven, eight months after that, like following year July is when I actually started trading properly in the market. So before that is when I took my time to make some money, which is where I went wrong as well. When I came to the business to create my startup, I never had a plan of finance. So I, I overlooked that completely. I was like, you know what? I'll figure things out. So like I knew that because my family actually uh, wanted to help me at the start, but then things went a bit side, you know, sideways with them. And uh, uh, they were not very happy that I decided to leave out of nowhere from the family business because I uh, had responsibilities there, but I decided, you know what? I want to start my startup. So. That's when they, I lost the support from them. So I was in a difficult times where, you know, when I came to the landed in the UK, I had 300 pounds with me only. So from that 80 pounds went just on the taxi to come uh, to my sister's place where I was staying. And then I had 220 pounds left with which from September till the end of December, I had to survive with that money. So having that amount of money, so, and coming to the UK, and first of all, as you know, I came on a visa. So according to visa regulations and everything, you need to have lots of money to start a business. And so, which is why I had to completely try and be like, I have the money, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll mm -hmm. find a way. And everything was going on underneath, you know, all that frustration, anxiety, yeah, yeah. you know, stress, how am I going to do stuff? I didn't know, but, you know, I had to find a job at the start, which is why first few months of my startup, I actually did not work much on it. I was trying to find a revenue stream, how I can actually fund my business. So I mostly spent my time doing that. And once I found a job, teacher role, supply teaching role, that's when I started making money. And that's when I started funding my business. And that's when in February, I finally went to Asia, India, where I finally visited the factory. And I found out how to actually manufacture my products. And I saw them in real life, touched them, understood them. And that's when the whole palm life vision came into my head finally that, oh, okay, you know what? Now I know what, where this is going. Now I know the product. I've seen it. I know how it's done. 
I know the whole thing. Now I can kickstart my business. So that's where, you know, things start moving on. I was wondering how the vision of it kind of came to you, like the product itself, how the the actual blueprint kind of manifested itself. Is it something that you worked on uh, with some other people in like a sort of R&D kind of way? Is it something that you worked on your own? Did you do the calculations yourself for kind of how it would be manufactured or is it a team that worked on it? Right. Yeah. So that, that that's an interesting part as well, you know. So I was basically studying MSc in National University, like I said. So I met a guy mm-hmm. there um, and he lived in South India. So when I was planning this business and I was planning to come to the UK, that's when I got in touch with him. And I was like, how can we do this? I need to find the machine and everything. And uh, I got in touch with manufacturers as in who made the machines to make these plates. But that's when I realized it's a very long, lengthy process. And with the amount of funding I had available, it was hard. So that's when I spoke to this friend of mine who uh, I met from Aston. And that's when he set up the factory in India. So which is why I, I spoke to him and he's like, you know what? I was planning for this as well. So why not I do it? And I can take care of the whole manufacturing part in India. And you can just take it from me and then supply all throughout Europe or UK, wherever you want to sell. That's mm-hmm. why, you know, that, that part of my role was like, you know, I was basically kind of saved from it, like the whole you know, operations and manufacturing part when he took over. So he set up the factory and everything, like getting the machines, setting them up, collecting the raw materials, and then, you know, you know, doing the whole manufacturing and then packaging in India. So everything was done by him. So, which is why I am not really looking into it, but I do know how it's done. Okay, right. So you guys are co-creators or? I mean, so we set up in like, you know, separate entities. So he's got a separate company in India right, which right, is okay. dealing with the manufacturing and everything. And Palm Life Limited is a company in the UK who basically acts just as a supplier. So I import from him and sell mm-hmm. them. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So um, maybe we can get a little bit into the the environmental side of it. As we uh, have said in, in the introduction, this is a company that um, supplies biodegradable tableware. Do you know kind of maybe some of the numbers on, on how biodegradable your products are? So maybe um, after how many days, um, these sort of things, because I, I think I see a lot what do you call it? Biodegradable like labels. Um, like yesterday, I was at a conference in Brussels in the park, uh, and they had biodegradable uh, like forks and knives. But you know, I, I was just thinking about it. Everything technically could be classified as biodegradable. Like everything kind of dies off and, and goes into back into the ground after some time. But mm. the que- the real question is, after how long? I guess does your product uh, biodegrade? That's a very good point that you made, Scandia, because you know how you said everything's biodegradable? That's actually a fact. Even though, like, let's say some takes hundreds of years, mm-hmm. it's going to biodegrade, but it's about the time, right? So similarly, um, if I, I can explain a bit more about my product, which would make it easier to explain how it biodegrades, maybe. Is that okay? Yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> so since since my product, palm, palm leaf plates, they're actually made out of fallen palm leaves. So we're just using a leaf, like which is something we don't add chemicals or anything to it. So it's a pure leaf that's used as a plate. Hence, once you know we throw them in the compost or in the garden, 
it biodegrades just like a normal leaf. So for our plate, it takes around nine to 12 weeks, which we've done ourselves. So we tried to compost it in our back garden and it took mm -hmm. within nine to 12 weeks, it was completely like, you know, biodegraded with the soil. So that's how long it takes for, for us. And I think uh, the reason why we claim it's 100% natural is because we don't use anything with it. It's just a natural leaf, yeah. which is used as a plate. As, sim as simple as that. Nice 12 weeks. Okay, so that's that's like quite a bit less than your kind of biodegradable plastics as well. So that's uh, that's quite an upgrade from that. Absolutely. Yeah, because some plastics might take at least a hundred years or so. Mm. So obviously we, our products do not end up in the landfill. Yeah, and even, even the kind of plastics that I've seen going around as biodegradable still take about, um, I'd say about six months, it seems, to completely break down. Sorry, for, for our product? No, 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 sorry, for biodegradable plastics. So like specific kind of single-use oh, right. plastics yeah. that are, are, are shown to be biodegradable. It seems like it takes around six months to even more, which would, uh, yeah, uh, which would yeah, make it, it varies quite a bit from, Yeah, from each and every product, it kind of varies, but yeah, it does take shorter time. So where do you get your uh, your palm leaves from? Uh, so uh, we get them from India, South India. So since that's that's a place where, I mean, the, it's a tropical climate, as you know, and which is why like South India has abandoned resource of uh, palm leaf plant trees, which is why, I mean, even though like, like let's say millions of uh, palm leaf plates are being made, still we're not running out of them. And the good thing is that mm -hmm. we don't lock anything out of the tree or we don't chop trees off it's just the fallen leaves which is why i mean it's perfectly fine mm -hmm. and i i kind of wonder in if let's say um if your company doesn't exist what happens to those palm leaves in kind of normal everyday life in in uh i think you you said before to us in another call prior to this that it was in chennai yeah that's yeah. right so if if let's say we don't use them as plates or anything, it's basically used as fertilizers. Like they burn them and then they turn them into fertilizers. Other than that, they also feed them to cows in India. So that's what they do. And mm. even even though let's say you know how we make them into a nice round shaped plate, if they did not do that in the past, like in India, people used to use them as plates anyways to eat on them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. So it, ha it has been used as like tableware for a long time now. Yeah, I've had some some Tamil meals on the on that in Chennai. It's a really oh yeah awesome exactly. experience. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I I just have a one more question as well around around this little bit before I can kind of give it off to Jamie. Um. The the palm leaves are collected. Uh, in in what way? Because I'm I'm trying to kind of mentally picture the whole production process. Do you have people kind of going from tree to tree, um, collecting leaves? Is this like plantations of trees that are kind of you know like monoculture of palm trees, or are these palm trees kind of uh, spread throughout places? It's basically spread th throughout places, but you know. Some places, like in South India itself, they have different parts of uh, South India where they have different kinds of leaves. 
So some might be a bit broader leaves, et cetera. So depending on that, we get those leaves from different places. Now, as, as in regarding to the collection, we don't do it like partly ourselves as a company. So now, since it's a business, business itself, so which is why there are lots of companies who have their own people collecting them and compiling them together so that they can be sold as raw materials to factories such as ours. So we are simply going to these suppliers and getting it off them. And they're the ones who actually employs these people who actually, let's say, if there's a plantation, they have like, in South India, pretty much every house owner might even have their own palm leaf trees as well. So, which is why some people have big lands there themselves where they have like probably, let's say, a few hundreds or thousands of trees as well, maybe. So they themselves like recruit these people to get them collected together and then they sell it to us. Or they might just, you know, buy it off other owner, owners, you know, for a cheaper price and then they sell it to us as well. There are different ways of, you know, how this is done. It's basically mm -hmm. just simply them selling the leaves, whether they collect them as a company or as an individual like Skander has a land and you're, you're the one, you know, you've got hundreds of trees and you're like, oh, there's fallen leaves everywhere and they need them. Let me just, you know, uh, to the people who need them and we just buy it off to you like that. <clears throat> I was wondering if um, during the startup of your business, you made any appeals to a government institution for funding or assistance and i also wanted to know what your kind of thoughts were on that you know could the could the government be doing more to make these uh sustainable products uh, these sustainable alternatives um more available and more feasible economically yeah so at the start i did not go to any government for funding but i was like you know applying for grants and funding through Aston, so which is why, like, for example, we got funding from Santander University. So Santander Bank is the one uh, where we got funding from. But if, yeah, we, if we did have any, like, you know, like small package or something just to help startups who've got eco-friendly ideas, that'd be great. I mean, they do have mm. applications, you know, in the UK, we do have the uh, government saying, okay, if you have innovative ideas, something to do with eco-friendly stuff, we will help you. But that's in larger scale. You have to come with a massive, gigantic plan, and that's when you can apply for it, which is what we are planning to do now since we have big R&D going on. But at the start, I think if we had more support, it would have really helped us. Mm -hmm. So which is why being a part of Aston, that BCN program is where we got very small support, like we got 500 pounds worth of funding, but which was still very helpful for us. Since you know that's the money I used to go to India, so it was not bad. And uh, sorry, what was the other question you asked? Um, so I asked if 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 you made any appeals and like, yeah, like what were your um, so, like? Do you think the the government could do more to make these alter, uh, these uh, sustainable alternatives more feasible or more available? I I think I think that they could definitely do that. Obviously, like as you know. As soon as the government did impose the law of banning single-use straws, mm. you know, it happened. And that's when people started looking for alternatives, right? Because they were compelled to do it at that point. So now, if they want to, you know, reduce the level of plastic waste, they need to impose laws, change laws, and be like, you know what, from now on, it's illegal, and we're going to charge you that much. 
So if they do that, people are definitely going to start, you know, moving towards alternative products. That's when our products eventually will come to the shelves automatically because there's a law that has been imposed. And now all these retailers, they would be sourcing for our products maybe. And that's, that's what happened. That's what we've seen with the plastic straws. And so I think the similar thing can happen with the, you know, other, other plastic products as well. Also, as you know, that from the UK, most of the plastic waste was going to the, uh, due to different countries abroad. Yeah. And Malaysia was one of the ones who were actually taking them in. And yeah. last year I attended this uh, seminar led by some experts from Malaysian, uh, uh, con uh, sorry, as in from Malaysia. And that's where we got to learn that how now they've completely stopped taking all these waste from the UK. So which is why UK is, you know, the pressure is building up on UK now that if they mm -hmm. can't send these plastic waste to Malaysia or any other country like China, yeah, where China will they had go? just banned it a couple of years ago, hadn't they? Exactly. So all these places where, you know, they took the waste from UK and now they can't send them out. So if they can't send them out, they need to control the amount of waste that, yeah. you know, is, you know, generated. So mm -hmm. as a result, now I think the government, as far as I know, they are thinking of it, which is why, you know, the plans of 2025, how they want to, you know, impose probably taxes on, uh, you know, companies as well who are generating more plastic waste so that in a way they start reducing the plastic waste as well. Mm -hmm. So yeah, the UK, UK is definitely working on that. But I think if we want to, you know, stop and cut down the source, we need to impose more laws as well, where, you know, completely they're like, okay, plastic plates, completely banned. If we find you, yeah. you know, selling them, you're going to be charged or something. Well, so, this is something that it's not without precedent. Um, you know, like uh, some places have done this, uh, New Caledonia. I, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this place. It's a, a French territory. Uh, so it's an island. It's um, It's got a relatively small population, obviously, compared to the UK. But it's still a kind of a, a, a big kind of place with uh, a lot of life kind of going on and, and industry and and sort of service industry and tourism and stuff like that. And I keep thinking that, you know, they so they seemingly so easily banned single-use plastics. Surely um, we can too. And I get the idea that um, uh, critics have kind of told me that, you know, oh yeah, but the UK is like, I don't know how many, like 60 something millions of people. You can't do the, that, that easily, but surely then you could do the same with just maybe cities or yeah. or like yeah. towns um you could even just start with that but we're not even seeing that being started and ideally we shouldn't even be shipping our waste anywhere i guess um it doesn't really make sense to me to to have cargo ships of waste going around <laughs> like for for what but um i'm, I'm wondering what, in terms of uh, actually referring to these kind of cargo ships how your products are moved around the world and if if this is maybe the the source of a little bit of like the worry that your company has to try and be eco-friendly while kind of moving around large amounts of products throughout the the world. Yeah, um, so we are actually thinking of that. So which is why, so right now, obviously when we ship them, it comes via sea, so cargo ships. So obviously, I mean, in terms of carbon footprint, as the cargo brings lots of stuff together, it's not just independent palm life stuff. Hence, Eco, I mean, it's not eco-friendly, it's just that the carbon footprint might not be as high as it would have been when we did. Like at the start, I had to bring some 
uh, items through uh, airplanes. So, you know, yeah. that was obviously something which was not very eco-friendly. And neither is this, but the carbon footprint is definitely lower than what it used to be by airplanes. But however, now, you know, because at the start, this is also something which I, you know, did not pay attention to, which I learned as I went along as well. Like, you know, I forgot the fact that, you know, I need to think about the whole chain, you know, as in the process of how it's being made, it's coming, et cetera, and what's the carbon footprint, footprint for that. So that's when I realized that, you know, like when we manufacture our products, we are using electricity. So that's mm -hmm. also something yeah. where we were thinking that if we do go grow even bigger, that's when we can probably shift to something like solar uh, energy that we can use to actually run the machines. But for now, obviously we can't do that at, as that's really expensive, so which is why we're still sticking to electricity. Right. Do, you, do you know kind of just for our listeners to get an, an idea of, of what kind of order of magnitude we're talking about in terms of how much more expensive it would be to run things on, on renewables? Uh, in case you have yeah. the, a, an idea. So as uh, so when we I was planning for that for uh, our factory is not that big so let's say I think it would be um, around two thousand square feet uh, so for that that size I mean and for the machines we have like let's say uh, five machines and for that we when we calculated uh, the I think if I'm not wrong I think it was nine thousand plus pounds that we needed as an investment to set up the solar panels to run mm -hmm. that facility itself. So obviously that for us, for a small startup company, that was a lot of money. Yeah. And, and I'm guessing the government doesn't have any schemes to, to help with that. Yeah. Now for that one, I mean, the government will not be helping us since the factory is not in the UK. It's in India. Mm -hmm. So if it was in the UK, then probably government does have, uh, I mean, like for manufacturers in the UK, they do have some, uh, I think, options for that, which I'm not sure about, so I would not really speak on it. But yeah, but as far as I know, for anything outside the UK, no, they would not be helping with that. Before we move on to some discussions about maybe uh, what your your company is currently facing in terms of COVID and, and the, the, the crisis, um, the I want to maybe like challenge a little bit um, the idea of of building something quite far away to send it to the UK or to Europe um, as being eco-friendly. Um, and this isn't like a, a total kind of criticism of, of uh, the business, but it's more just a, I guess, a, a sort of challenge because what we've been learning a lot with our scientists and leaders and stuff on our, on our podcast is that is the kind of dire need for uh, local and like geographically for local products for local people, basically, right? To to kind of try and cut out these international trade uh, lines and instead try to to build things to sell in a geographical context. Um, so I guess I want to ask you maybe what is stopping um, Palm Life from, let's say, finding its market specifically in India or Bangladesh or, or nearer to home to where it's being produced rather than sending it halfway across the world? Yeah, that's definitely a good question. And I think, first of all, the parts that are being made in India now, they're actually being sold in India itself as well. So 
So which mm-hmm. is why my friend who's looking after them as he's he's owning the factory himself. He sells them the first market is India where I mean the demand is really high itself because India and in India they also have banned plastic. So which is why South India has a bigger demand for that already. So which is what oh, they're doing really? there. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So that's why India market itself is a big market where they're already selling them there. So, but Bangladesh is something where they have not really banned plastic completely. I mean, they did in terms of like, let's say plastic bags, but not really in terms mm-hmm. of tableware or other packaging. Hence, the demand in Bangladesh is not really high. And yeah. it's only the high end market customers who are interested into something new, a new trend, which, you know, appeals to them. They want to use them. But for the mass market, it's not really a viable option yet since the plastic products are way cheaper than uh, um, leaf plates. So, and in terms of UK, um, let's say you are right uh, about the fact, why are we not uh, thinking of, I mean, obviously for the UK itself, uh, there should be a market, right? But there are no palm leaves in the, palm leaves in the UK. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so as you know, I mean, since the UK does not really have a tropical climate, we don't have those leaves. So which is why we have to source it from elsewhere. So like initially, like the plan for Palm Life was to import those raw materials from outside the country, bring it to the UK and manufacture them here. But the production cost was going up so high that there was no way we could have, you know, sold them for the price we're selling them right now. Hence, mm-hmm. you would find all those competitions that we have in the UK market right now. Everyone's buying them from India because the labor cost is really low. And obviously we can't, be able to compete if we make them in the UK. So, I mean, which is why now as an alternative to palm leaf, can we do something else in the UK? That's the question which mm-hmm. I was asking myself. Uh, as a company, Palm Life, we have started an R&D project with Aston University and we uh, are, are being funded by the European Regional Development Fund. So, which is why nice. our project that's taking place now we are trying to actually find out how we can actually not go to India and stay in the UK and try and find local raw materials. And mm-hmm. also we could, you know, potentially create more job opportunities within the UK as well. So in every way possible, we basically were thinking how it can be done in the UK. And also, you know, uh, in that way we can like, let's say, you know, how people are using the palm leaves in India and creating something sustainable. So in the UK as well, we do have lots of leaves, like let's say being autumn, the councils, they spend a lot of money to try and get rid of these leaves, right? So which is why if we actually pay more attention to it and try and find ways, we could potentially find lots of leaves within the UK, which we might be able to turn them into something else. But obviously Mm -hmm. that's a lengthy process that would require lots of funding. And uh, it would require, I think, probably a few years as well to get there because we need to find out as well if we can actually make it like 100% eco-friendly or not because with these leaves in the UK obviously they're not sturdy enough like palm leaf which is why we can't just not use any chemicals which is why there are questions about you know chemicals being used as well so there are lots of factors which we are actually looking into studying right now to try and see how we can actually you know find out something where we can make them eco-friendly and if we can, I mean, as far as we found out, there's no way that we cannot use 
no chemicals. We will have to use chemicals, but we need to find out how less, you know, impact they can have on people's health or to the environment. Mm -hmm. Do you, are, are you able to kind of tell us uh, a little bit about these chemicals or is this sort of thing not um, something you can talk about? Well, I mean, the, I mean, we are not using any of uh, the chemicals, which is why I would not go on any of, like, I would not specify any names or anything. But, I mean, like, let's say, you know how you mentioned earlier that we do know about certain biodegradable products where, you know, they say it's 100% eco-friendly and whatever. But... Mm -hmm. Are they actually 100% eco-friendly or not? That's the question. So lots of yeah. uh, the products that are being made out there, the competitions we have, you might find lots of uh, you know stuff made out of paper or sugar cane. Are there, there's plenty more products out there. And they're eco-friendly, but at the same time, they have to use chemicals. Why? Because you know, when they go for mass production, because they have to actually grind them into, like let's say, powder form or something. And then they have to make them into different... Uh, shapes and sizes right so obviously when we want the powder to come together we need chemical to bind them together so we need certain polymers to get them you know stuck together and hence people need the chemicals now how eco-friendly they are and which chemicals are they using i don't know and but i do know it's not going to be 100 percent safe but then again if we do look at the bigger picture it would be good for the environment and for the future of our planet. So which is why even if you have to probably use a bit of chemical, we have to try and see how uh, we can make sure that they are not that harmful or toxic. Do you think, do you think using chemicals to process these products, do you think that in itself is kind of, there's kind of like a completely clean way to do that? Uh, do I think it's a clean way to do that? Or do you think there could be a completely clean way in, in using chemicals to process these products? Well, I, I'm not sure. I would not, because I'm not really knowledgeable on that mm. matter, but I do know that if we do want, we can avoid these things. Because when, when we started manufacturing, we've realized that, I mean, it's about finding the possibilities ourselves. Like, you know how when they created plastic to reduce the cost and, you know, like now all the packaging that are plastic goods, they are cheap. Now, obviously the costing might go up if we try and go for eco-friendly stuff. But if we think of the planet and everything, we will eventually have to end up probably spending more or the, uh, let's say the government can subsidize on that and reduce the price for manufacturers for the raw material so that we can actually, you know, like, make them for cheaper costs or the, at least the raw material will be cheaper for us to buy or maybe you know how let's say the government has been helping for example let's say the recent one you know they were helping the restaurant with 50 percent off offers where they were paying them but they were trying to encourage the public to actually buy you know go to the restaurants to pay for it so similarly i mean there could be lots of different ways where we could come up with options or ideas how we can encourage the public or you know, encourage the manufacturers, the businessmen to make these products and try and not opt for something where it's like you know toxic with lots of chemicals. So, as far as I see, if businessmen like us, we are the ones who put stuff on the shelf. So if you go Tesco or something, we are the people who actually comes up with products, and we are the ones creating you know different kinds of options. 
I, me, Abdul, from Palm Life, I'd be like, do you want palm leaf? The other person would be like, do you want plastic? So now if the government obviously stops us businessmen from do, making stuff with plastic, how else will we come up with that option? Because we are the ones creating the options to public. We are giving them, okay, there's plastic, there's uh, palm leaf or uh, paper. Now, obviously, most people, as we know, are not probably uh, financially healthy at this stage, corona situation, or even prior to that, normal human behavior is to go for the cheaper option. And most people know that, you know, all these plastic waste, how it's impacting the world is not going to immediately affect us right now. So there, some of them are like, you know, so ignorant, they'll be like, oh, it's not going to affect me anyway. I'll be long dead before anything happens to the world. Hence, we need to come up with ideas and options because we clearly know how to control people's uh, behavior because we're the ones creating the options. So it's us who needs to change and which is why the government is the only one who can make such changes. They are the ones who have the power to do anything they want, right? On such a large so, which scale, is why, yeah. Exactly. Like we have seen that with the single, uh, you know, use straws once again, um, that as soon as the government said that, yeah, people started changing, you know, McDonald's or wherever you go, even though let's say they're not that great quality, but they're trying to go for paper straw or something else. So it's the government only who has the power to do anything. And I think if they say that or impose a law or anything, I think the businessmen ask who are creating the options will have to also opt for something eco-friendly. Talking about COVID, your company, I guess, makes um, primarily uh, still now single-use um, tableware, right? You said that, I think in, in our kind of introduction call where we'd, we'd uh, gotten to meet you, I think you said that you're maybe exploring some ideas of, of like reusable stuff that is going to be quite expensive. So, so for now, you're sticking to completely single-use uh, tableware, right? That's right. Yeah. And I can imagine, um, not just from the info that you gave me, but also just generally thinking about it, that um, things like festivals would be a massive opportunity for companies like Palm Life. So how exactly does uh, a company like Palm Life survive or does it not in COVID times when things like festivals are, are a bygone sort of memory of, a, of an era forgotten you know yeah i mean like for us we got affected really bad because that was the peak time you know like i think february was the time when things were picking up we uh, got enlisted a supplier for different companies this and that and we had lots of best festivals you know that were lined up all throughout the summer so obviously we had so many you know requests and you know prospective orders in place that as soon as covid hit everything started getting cancelled every day and we stocked up uh, thousands of pieces for that so every fifth festival there were like you know at least like few vendors who want them from us and obviously we have to be you know stocked up to make sure that we don't run out since the festivals are coming and yeah boom obviously like any other business we got affected and now we have been struggling to find ways to actually reach out to people how we can still sell because now, obviously, those festivals are no longer an option. So the only thing we can do is sell to a public, like the general public, like me and yourself. Hence, mm-hmm. we've been trying to push uh, through, like, you know, marketing, like adverts through uh, Instagram, Facebook, and all the social media platforms to come on our website to buy them. But 
we haven't had uh, good luck with that, which is why we have been suffering quite a lot. The last six months, we, I think our sales have been so low. We basically have run probably maybe 10 orders that we had only. And uh, we have been like, I have a group of interns who are working with me uh, on marketing and sales. And we have been approaching pretty much everyone in every way possible. And so far it is being hard since, as you know, the other problem is that even let's say uh, like James or you yourself, if you want to have a barbecue now, no more than six people are allowed. So what happens? You would not invite people, even even not because you're not allowed, you want to be safe as well. So you want to make sure that I don't want to mix with people, social distancing, etc. So you would not have a barbecue. That means you would not be ordering from Palm Life. And that means we are not making any sales in any way possible, whether that's, that's related to hospitality industry, obviously no. And whether that's uh, you buying something for a party at home, that's also no, no. So hence the other option that we found at the end was the takeaway industry, which took, you know, boomed, right? So obviously the number of deliveries going here and there was just picking up all over the place. And that's basically something we are trying to, you know, target now because we as as we can also try and make takeaway boxes which we have been working on but due to the pandemic once again our uh, research was taking place in Aston University lab so as a result of that the labs were shut as well so which is why our research you know got halted as well so which is why now nothing is you know happening hence we're not being able to come up with the product if we could have managed to do that then at least we could have probably still gained access into the industry by selling the takeaway boxes and obviously that's a very good uh, place to start now and i think which is why we are desperately trying to see how we can you know mitigate everything and still you know come up with some you know uh, takeaway box as soon as possible we can yeah and and just uh, out of curiosity how long does your product um survive like when you said that you had stocked up on on the low products for these festivals then the the orders were cancelled. Is there like a, a sort of shelf life in the factory the, uh, for how long your product can stay? Yeah, so the shelf life, usually what we say is it's up to a year that we can keep them in stock. So let's say um, I've stocked up at the beginning of this year. So um, I think in the next four months, if we are not going to be able to sell them, our products might not be, you know, we might not be able to sell them anymore. So that's where we will make a loss again. And even though, I guess, even though the, the festivals aren't going to be really happening around, you know, around winter time, and, and who knows, COVID might even get worse around winter time, as we've heard on the news and everywhere. Um, I can still imagine like a lot of things like, you know, like uh, Christmas markets and, and such uh, wanting even... wanting these. Even Christmas markets are being cancelled, by the way. So, yeah, like yeah, last, last, last week, uh, uh, like Birmingham itself, where w- my business is based, I mean, that's a very popular German market they have every year for the last, God knows, more than a decade. And this is the first time, obviously, they have to cancel it for the safety mm-hmm. of people and everything. So, yeah, that's the problem, you see. Um, uh, as a result of that, it's going to get affected in every way possible. Like, we also... But thinking of office spaces, you know, how people would want to use single-use products. So, which is why office uh, canteens and all these places, we are thinking 
that would be a good place to start as well. But now it seems like everyone is going back to home again. They're working from home and they're not really going to the office. So they're being discouraged to do that. Hence, even those, you know, any option that we have been thinking of is definitely not a viable idea at the moment because obviously everyone wants to be safe and wants to be indoors and wants to be away from public. Does your product um, biodegrade, the, the biodegradable kind of uh, aspect of it, is that in a setting like India um, or Bangladesh or is it kind of, does it differ uh, from setting to setting? Because I know that some some things can biodegrade faster in specific areas uh, compared to others. So would it would it biode- would it have the same capacity to biodegrade in the UK, let's say, than in India? Yeah, it's pretty much the same. So it, it's it's uh, there's not a big difference with that, and hence we've done that ourselves in the UK, which is why we're trying to test it out. Even actually, we did that. I think during the um, near the winter time was when we tried to do that to understand if that affects in any way possible. But no, it was fine. It was still the same. So it took nine to twelve weeks because we were monitoring it for those weeks to understand and see how things change and what happens. So no, it was the. I mean, it didn't really make a difference. So are you looking to have people use your product and then? compost them basically yeah so that's what we uh encourage our customers to do that once they've used it to compost it so but then unfortunately that it would defeat the purpose of it if let's say like festivals don't compost and they instead throw it in a sort of general bin to be burned yeah now that's where it comes to the customer's behavior Mm-hmm. And that's something we don't really have a control with, but we can encourage people, we can educate them, we can help them understand how it's done, which is what, like, for example, like, you know, how I live in Bristol and I lived in London, right? So I lived in Enfield Borough in London and in Bristol. And these two places itself has a massive difference in terms of how they recycle stuff. In Bristol, there is a box for everything. Everything has to be separated. Food waste goes in different bin, and plastic waste in different, cardboards in different. But in London, the council is not in- encouraging to, them to do that, which is why what happens, everyone puts everything in one bin, whether it's plastic or glass, everything goes in one bin, and that's when it goes to the recycling company. It gets harder for them to you know, separate stuff, etc. So it's, it's then again, like I said, it's always the government, uh, you know, who can, you know, actually help shift consumers' behavior in every way possible. Like even me, I did not know this when I was in London. When I came here, I, it took me a bit of time to understand how everything works. I was like, I never, never saw this many different bins to like put them in different ways. And then I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is how it's gonna make it easier for people to understand as well how much, you know, plastic waste are they actually generating every month or every week. So now when I look at my bin, I'm like, oh, wow. Is that how much plastic we've been using? How many bottles we've used? How many, like, like instantly it makes you realize as well. So you understand everything yourself. So I think, which is why this is also something which is important. If the recycling companies, whether that's, uh, you know, Veolia or anyone who's doing in water Barra, I think if they have the same way of trying to recycle stuff or ask, you know, like households to put them in different bins, it would make a big difference. It would educate them that way as well 
and they will know next time if anyone speaks about it or they see advertisements or anything, they'll be like, oh yeah, I know, I understand now. I mean, instantly, you know, you, I mean, that works well. This is something that I, that shocked me as well about um, Japan when I went to visit my aunt the, the first time I went to Japan, what was it, five, six years ago? Um, and in Japan, you have, uh, in at least in, in Nagoya, where, where they live, uh, like quite central, they have uh, seven different bins at home. Um, and so like every bottle, for example, that you have, you have to take the cap off, put it in a specific bin, take the kind of plastic um, label around the bottle, put it in another bin and put the bottle itself, cut it up and put it in the third bin. And everything is built so that you can do this. Like it's a government, it seems to be at least a mandated thing that every bottle, every like thing that you produce has to be um, made in parts that can kind of be like dislocated from each other and then put into the separate bins. Uh, it seems to me like that's kind of a necessary future um, that we should be heading that towards. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, like, look, me, I, I'm educating myself after, after I've started the company. I have learned so much with it, which I've never learned before. And which is why I would not be surprised if most people don't know that because we need to find ways of engaging with the audience, different interesting ways where they can learn. I myself would not have learned this much if I was not running a company where we deal with eco-friendly products, which is why I know more now. And I still don't know a lot. Every day is like a new thing where I learn something new. Like even moving to Bristol, um, not till a month ago, I did not know this much, how much were they consuming every month, et cetera. And which is why now, when I put them in different bins every week, that makes me think as well, uh, okay, can I do some business with this maybe? Can I try and, you know, if I'm like generating this much, this much of uh, plastic bottles, can I do something with them? I'm trying to think of something. So I think in a way people might come up with ideas as well when they deal with them. Like you might have seen lots of news where Lots of people independently are trying to make use of different plastic or any other waste material and trying to make, I mean, reuse them in different ways. So that is encouraging. And, you know, even the Bristol Council, like people who collect the bin, they do a fantastic job in, uh, you know, if you put the wrong stuff in the wrong bin, they don't take it. So that itself is a lesson for you. You look back and you're like, oh, damn, what did I do? Oh, I didn't put in the right bin or something. So that's when you make sure to do that as well. And the next time you are aware and you don't do it, uh, you know, the wrong way, you pay more attention to it. So, yeah, I think uh, these uh, small things can make a big difference. As a final question, Adil, do you have any hopes or, or wishes for the next uh, year, year and a half, that sort of thing uh, for not just COVID period, but after in terms of, of your company and maybe in terms of where this sector is heading? Well, I I mean, my main dream is to <laughs> see that the government imposing new laws as soon as possible. So obviously, I mean, in terms of, uh, I think it works out well for everyone. Obviously it's going to be more eco-friendlier at the same time as a company. Obviously I'll be making more money, which is uh, going to be helpful for me to run a business like this. And obviously I want to expand and grow and which is why like the efforts that we are making to find out something within the UK, uh, which could potentially help UK in every way possible is our dream. So we do want to lead in the eco-friendly industry as well, try and, you know, as our, our aim is not just to stick with tableware. 
our packaging. We are actually trying to expand to lots of new different products. Anything that's single use, we're trying to replace them. And we're hoping that uh, by next year, maybe we might come up uh, with our new products on BBC and probably the whole uh, UK and Europe will be able to see that. And we can obviously work together. You know, I think it's something where we have to work together as a manufacturer, as a businessman, as consumers, I think we have to work together to try and fight this climate change problem. And I think uh, that's possible. And I think one step at a time will take us there. So yeah, I think I'm hopeful things will change and it will get better. Thanks a lot, Adil. Um, any, anything much. you want to plug in, uh, your your social medias and, and stuff where people can find your, or websites where people can find your products and, and keep up to date with them? Oh yes, definitely. I think if everyone could uh, follow us on Instagram, uh, you would find us as Palm Life Ltd. So Palm Life Limited. I think you'd find us on all social platforms: Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and we also started TikTok. So we'd be coming up with some interesting <laughs> nice. TikTok videos very soon. But yeah, please do follow us. We'll be very grateful yeah. if you do that and spread the word. All right, Adil, thank you so much for joining RC. Thank, thank you. you so much for having me, guys. Thanks for listening to this episode. It means a lot to us. If you're looking for more content, we've got dozens of episodes available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Or if you don't have those things, you can always listen for free online on our website at thehumanodysseypodcast.podbean.com. You can also reach us at humanodysseythepodcast at gmail.com, on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at thehumanodysseypodcast. If you really enjoy the show, you can always help support it by going to our Patreon at patreon.com slash podcast. We've got lots of rewards, including bonus episodes, early access, and shoutouts. Speaking of which, huge thank you to our Patreon supporters, Nadia, Shadia, Pablo, and Tommy for sharing this odyssey with us. Glad to have you on the team. <laughs>